Welcome to Career Kitchen, where we speak and learn from entrepreneurs, industry experts, practitioners, and fellow travelers who are all trying to achieve career success. This platform provides priceless advice, helps you avoid pitfalls and mistakes, and ultimately can inspire you to master your pathway of career navigation. Please share, subscribe, and enjoy. Today, we're talking to Damon John, an incredible business mind leader and industry expert from Shark Tank, comes on our podcast and talks to our team about the power of perseverance, a truly incredible experience that we're excited to share with everybody uh, and excited for you guys to be encouraged uh, with his story. Uh, So let's listen in. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you all for, and thank you for having me. Well, we appreciate you as well. Yeah, no, thank you very much. We were about to play the intro video a few seconds ago, so <laughs> forgive some of our, our, uh, our hijinks. You, okay, you want, you want to play it and I'll just wait? Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That way we're following the, the, the flow. Okay, leave one moment. No problem. That's how things go. All right, let's go. And I've been an entrepreneur since the day I was born. Without further ado, here he is, the people shark, Damon John. Damon John, the founder and CEO of Forest Bias Fubu and a panelist on Shark Tank and the author of three best-selling books. An entrepreneur is somebody who thinks outside the box and when everybody else says no, they say yes. In 1992, Damon John was 23 years old with only 40 bucks to his name when he started FUBU, now one of the most iconic fashion brands in history. When I started FUBU, I had to physically get up in people's face and try to sell them a shirt. Everybody thinks you need money to make money, but you don't. We knew we make it if we ever get on us, and y'all. Came from the hood, I can't design, I'm dyslexic, got left back in seventh grade. All that didn't stop me. America's not about what can be done for us. It's about what can be done by us. When you start hearing the president talk about FUBU, mom, I made it. I started going on shows and Mark Burnett saw me and said, this guy knows how to break down a pitch. I want him on the show. Every week over six million people tune in to see Damon John and his fellow sharks fight it out on Shark Tank. Four fluffy pancakes, under 250 calories. I'll do 120,000 for 50%. I'll go 42 if you do it right now. Say yes, don't hesitate. I'll do 42. Nice play, Damon. Thank you very much. It's about educating people. I'm just doing it because I was this close to losing everything myself. Damon, give a deal. Smart man. There you go. He's so encouraging and he sees that I could do this. So the question is gonna be, when is the time for Chloe to start her line? The biggest investment is to invest in people. We have an idea. We know you are the man to come to. For me, I've always dreamed big. And so I called up my business partner, um, Damon John from Shark Tank. I love him so much. I love him. It's all about bringing other people up the ladder the same way that I was brought up the ladder. I will guarantee to mentor you, but I will not give you the money at this time. We're taught everything else as kids, but we're not taught how to use that tool called money. You have to concentrate on this and be the king of this. Damon John from Shark Tank is here with us. Damon John's branding. Powerhouse and realist. He's my favorite shark. The author of a brand new book called Rise and Grind. You gotta grind. Anything worth doing is worth overdoing. Rise and grind, outperform, outwork, and outhustle your way to a more successful and rewarding life. Don't do things just for money. You have to start today and do what you love. You're gonna fail, but you're gonna learn from that and you're gonna grow. We've got a shark here named Damon John. You are also a presidential ambassador for global entrepreneurship. We're here tonight to save the world and teach financial intelligence. The recipient of the Damon John Scholarship for Excellence 
is I look for desire, drive, honor, and the ability to solve problems. First of all, thanks for what you're doing. My quest right now is to change people's lives, have fun at the same time, and challenge people. You've just given back to the community in so many great ways. Real visionary. Please welcome Damon John! The king of branding. He is the leader, the guy that started it all, a pioneer. <laughs> I love it. American dream stole a lot. That's what it's about. It's about leaving with a legacy. Thank you. All right. Very awesome. Well, um, no other introduction is needed. That is amazing. We appreciate the fact that you're taking some time to uh, spend with us and uh, and uh, spend some time with our organization and. Uh, for us to be able to learn from you, and um, and so we're excited to be here with you. Well, thank you. Sorry for the technical issues. Uh, you know, new studio. Uh, maybe I need to come to you to help me hire some technical people. Uh, I, the younger audience right here, I know I'm supposed to have empathy, but you should be fired, George, for that. But anyway, I'm sorry. Let's go. Well, we appreciate your time. Um, uh, we'll jump right in because um, we have a lot of questions for you and uh, your path is really inspiring. I think there's a lot of things that we can learn from uh, grit um, and the, the grit that you've had over your, uh, your career and, and, and how you stood up for what you believed in and how that sort of manifested into uh, where you are today. Um, and so to begin, I want to kind of uh, dive into uh, sort of four areas uh, to structure our conversation around. Uh, the first one would be uh, your early life um, and uh, things that um, sort of clicked for you back then and how you sort of uh, figured out your career path, uh, finding your, uh, your passion, um, you know, being able to actually move and navigate uh, from there into building a repeatable process. And then your lowest point to your turning point. So when you we're able to then find uh, success and then looking back on, uh, on life lessons. Um, and so uh, without further ado, um, uh, I'll begin. I guess my first question is uh, your environment. When you were growing up, can you tell us a little bit about what you were exposed to uh, during your childhood um, and, and, and what your early life was like? You know, what I grew up, uh, what I was exposed to is I, I, uh, you know, I grew up in uh, Hollis, Queens. I was born in Brooklyn and I was raised in Queens, New York. Um, lower middle class, uh, you know, the general people in Hollis, Queens, uh, you know, we had a couple of options. We either worked at Aqueduct Racetrack, Belmont Racetrack, or we worked at JFK Airport or LaGuardia Airport. So we were shoveling bags or shoveling horse shit. And uh, we had a uh, Rikers Island, so we either were living there or working there, and so that's that's where I grew up. Uh, but family orientated, really great, um, you know, great people in the in the community. Um, but like most communities, uh, you know, in around 1985, 1986, uh, they got devastated by a new cheap drug called crack, and um, a lot of people. You know, being an African American, I didn't I didn't see, and the internet didn't exist, neither did social media. So the entrepreneurs that I saw were literally the drug dealers. You know, they were the ones driving by in the fancy cars. And they didn't, bro they didn't broadcast on the six o'clock news what was going on or various other entrepreneurs. And being black, I didn't see anybody on TV that looked like me that had a, ran a business that anybody on TV that had that of color were either uh, athletes or musicians. And I couldn't play sports and I wasn't a great um, you know, a uh, talented person. So I didn't have anything to aspire to. Um, but for some reason, there must be something in the water of Hollis, Queens, because this new music that came out of the Bronx that I would call today is obviously hip hop. It's a global, uh, a global, uh, you know, music is either number, it fights for number one and two in regards to music. But in that time, you know, what hip hop really was, was our form of Twitter and Instagram, right? Because we didn't see what was going on in the six o'clock news, right? And they weren't highlighting those things. But 
this new form of music came from the streets and it was the ability of these kids that didn't need to be able to play an instrument or harmonize. And through this music, they were talking about political issues, police violence, what they loved, what they hated and aspirations. So we didn't know what was going on in the streets of Compton in Hollis, Queens or in the streets of Florida or wherever the case was. So this music came with a way to walk, talk and dress. And I was fascinated. And I don't know what's in the water of Hollis, Queens, because if you look at that small little square four miles, I mean, Run DMC, here's all the people that came from it. Run DMC, Salt and Pepper, LL Cool J, 50 Cents, Ja Rule, Onyx, uh, Intro, um, Tribe Called Quest, some of the Fat Boys lived there. So, so many came from there. And when I was looking at the drug dealers driving by in fancy cars, and they were having to look over their back doing wrong things, then I saw Run DMC driving by in fancy cars, and they were doing something they love, and they were globally recognized and making money. Well, it was a no-brainer at that time. The only problem was, how was I going to do it? And that's the community I grew up in. Um, I'm an only child. My father left when I was 10 years old. Would never see or speak to my father ever again. My mother started working three jobs at the, uh, when I was 10 years old, with the same amount of food on the table. And the bottom line that drew me to entrepreneurship was, I didn't want to see my mother work that hard. Who wants to see their mother work that hard? Um, and I got my first job handing out flyers for $2.25 per hour in the middle of the winter. Then I would shovel snow. I would rake leaves. I would dumpster dive for bike parts and put them together. By the time I got all the parts that fit, it would be six months, but I'd finally build a bike and then probably somebody would uh, sell it to somebody. Um, so that's really my early age and, uh, you know, where I grew up, uh, you know, and uh, the environment that I was around. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. So you were exposed to, sort of a lot of things happening, a lot of different experiences. I guess my question would be, when you when you had those sort of pathways in front of you, right, how did you avoid uh, those pitfalls? What were things that you did to kind of uh, put yourself onto the path that eventually became uh, your success? You know, I'm a very analytical person. I always analyze what would be the end outcome and what was I doing? I mean, can I say that I was... Um, uh, I was focused. No, uh, you know, I was like any other kid. I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, I didn't have the right advisors around me. I mean, in Hollis Queens, you don't have the right advisors around you. But my mother was a, a, and still is a great advisor. And I always would seek out mentors. A lot of people seek me out to mentor them. But, you know, I'm a pretty busy guy at this time in my life. And I barely get to even see my own children. However, the mentors often are, you know, they're in the community. They're They're operating corner stores. They're they're going to the city and working and then coming home. They're, they're, they're people at the church. You know, they're hardworking people. Mentors are all around. The superheroes in the, in the communities are often disguised because they're disguised in dirty overalls or, you know, uh, in, in, a, in a capacity of working. They're parents in the community, right? That's who are the mentors. And I would seek mentorship from these amazing people. Um, but listen. As I told you about all those great music artists, I was on the first world rap tour. It was uh, the Fresh Fest. I was on the tour with LL Cool J, Beastie Boys, Public Enemy. Uh, who else was on that tour? Eric B. and Rakim. And, um, and I was pushing speakers around on that tour. And then I went on the New Edition tour and the Bobby Brown tour. And I was just you know, a roadie. And I was, but I was cool. I was really cool. <laughs> so when that, when that year came up for me to go to college, I was like... <laughs> I'm too cool for that shit. So I didn't go to college and I was like, yeah, all those other kids, those nerds, those are nerds and band geeks, right? Well, what happened? Well, half of my friends who became drug dealers, actually, uh, my buddy, uh, I grew up with three guys, me, Hype Williams, and a guy named Irv Gotti, and another guy. And we all promised ourselves around 16 years old. We said, I said, I'm going to be the king of fashion. And Irv was like, I'm going to be the king of music. And Hype was like, I'm going to be the king of movies. And my other friend said, I'm going to keep selling drugs. Well, Hype Williams became a very well-known director. Irv Gotti created Murder, Inc. with Ashante and um, uh, Ja Rule and everybody. And the drug dealer dude, Hype Williams did the movie Belly About because he became a huge drug dealer and just got out of jail last year after spending 27 years in jail. All right. So these are all kids. And, and as kids, we had goals that we set in our lives to execute. But when I was, like I said, 17, 18, I was on tour. I was too cool for everybody because, again, they were band geeks and they were nerds. Hence, 22, 23, uh, uh, you know, I was tw hence 20, I was 22 and 23. They were all coming back from college. Mm -hmm. 
They were all coming back from jobs that they had. And I'm a waiter in Red Lobster with tartar sauce on my apron and I'm getting them shrimp and I'm getting them salad. And I said to myself, maybe I'm the asshole because the nerds and the geeks of the past, you know who then they ended up becoming in history. I didn't know these nerds. And geeks. You know who the nerds and the geeks became the, uh, the band geeks and the nerds. They became Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk. They became Dr. Dre and Timberland and everybody else like that. And I'm busy laughing at them. Meanwhile, now they're coming back. Right. And, 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 and just regular people too. They were getting jobs. They were, they were, there were people like here who knew how to say, I'm so talented that I'm going to eat what I kill. And I'm going to show you that I have the drive and the expertise, the ability to communicate, the way to research a target and go after a target. And I don't need you to take care of me on the front end because I'm going to make, make way more in the back end. And if not, I'm going to challenge myself. They were smart enough to do that. And I wasn't smart enough to do that. And that's when around 23, 24, I said, I got to now double down on an education. I don't have money to go to college, so I better read as many goddamn books as I can, go work at wherever I can and find as many mentors as I can. Wow. So you were starting to do all of that while you're at Red Lobster, just picking sort of whenever you have free time, just going after it and learning and seeing what you could grab. I was learning in Red Lobster. All right, let's talk about, we talk about sales here. You know what I learned in Red Lobster? Um, you know, most of the waiters never looked at the sales uh, documents that came in, but they they showed quarterly sales of the whole corporation. Right. They have to. Right. Um, and I would look at those big sales things and I would realize where they made money. They made money. They never made money off of the food itself, the entrees. They always made money off of the appetizers, the the, the, the liquor and the desserts. So I realized also margins. I realized that these are something we call lost leaders. They're not making money at the stake. The stake's just bringing you in for you to sell everything else. Same in fashion. You can see all the leather and fur coats and all that crap. You know what we make more money off of? We make money off of T-shirts and jeans. You know where Louis Vuitton and Gucci make more money off of? They make money off of all those belts and all those wallets that they sell, mm -hmm. not the other products. So I started to learn margins there. I also understood how to sell. You know, if I knew that I get paid maybe 10 or 20 percent, um, you know, off a tip, meaning the tip reflects that's the size of the check. Well, if I can sell everybody dessert, that's going to increase the size of the check by 10 percent. Now, it may sound small right now. And then as a waiter, you go and as we've all gone, people say at the end of the night, hey, you want dessert? You know what I used to do? Well, I'm taking your appetizer and your, your drink and your food order. Listen. I'm not sure. We got a couple of desserts. A lot of people like them, and they may they may have a shortage in the back. I'm not sure. I want to make sure I get it. <laughs> Why don't I write down your dessert for you now? And at the end of the day, at the end of the night, um, if you don't want it, don't worry about it. First of all, you can take it home if you want. But if you don't want it, no problem. Uh, it won't be on the check, and I won't include it. But I just want to make sure I prepare it for you. Well, nobody, especially if they're on a date, they don't want to order dessert. Right. They, want, they don't want to act like that. But by the way, nobody ever took that goddamn dessert off the check ever. <laughs> Love it. So that yeah. increased 10 percent of sales. Right. I, there wasn't no shortage. You know how many <laughs> cheesecakes we have in the back? By the way, I hate to break it to you. When you go to the store, you see that one or two little shirts on the hanger. They have nineteen hundred left in the back. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, that's awesome no uh, incredible story um so so you you had a passion for hip-hop you know um it sounds like you were kind of sort of exploring those motions at an early age red lobster was um you know a, a helping you to sort of support yourself how did you go from that standpoint of realizing you know what red lobster isn't for me i need to really just go after what i'm passionate about and and really sort of move full speed into uh, into FUBU. A lot of sacrifice. You know, somebody had to tell me if somebody wrote down everything I would have to do to get to this point in my life where I'm at, I would say no, thank you. Um, and so what did I do? I just learned to sacrifice everything else. I said, this is going to be my only run. I, well, first of all, I was loving what I did. I, you know, I was able to dress people and I was able because so for, so the story is that for two years, I only had 10 shirts, literally 10. Uh, 
And because I kind of knew, I didn't know the rappers that well, but I knew they were friends, right? Because when they go on tour, their cousins go on whatever the case is. So I realized that um, I, can, I knew all the videos were being shot. And so I would go to all the video sets and I went to, in those two years, I went to 30 video sets. I got kicked off of an average of 10, another 10, nobody would wear my stuff, but only out of 10 of those, whether a dancer wore it or whether somebody wore the same 10 t-shirts, I would give it to a rapper and they would shoot the video and I'll take it back, give it to another rapper, take it back. Um, but in those 10 videos, after about two years of placing them, they were seen heavily because at that time we didn't have social media. It was only here's where you're going to see the Mariah Carey video, Old Dirty Bastard. And I started to get traction. So what did it cost me? It cost me 10 T-shirts. Now, right after that, right in the middle of that, I said to myself, and this is definitely good for people here. I said to myself, what is my inventory? What do I have? Well, I don't have any money. All right. So what do I do? I have a phone available to me. So I promised myself for six months, I'm going to make 50 calls a day. 50 calls a day, 10 to manufacturers, 10 to uh, clothing stores, 10 to record labels to see where more videos were going. I said, if I get out of those 50 calls, now I'm still working real Red If I get past those 50 calls and I start to get traction, I'm going to start to make 75 calls a day. Or I'm going to stop and say, this is not for me. I don't like it. You know, whatever the case is. Six months in. So first of all, the first two months, nobody answered my call or they hung up on me. Um, you know, about four months in, they were like, uh, you ain't going to stop calling, are you? I was like, nope. So they started at that point, they started either saying, I don't have anything for you, but go over here. Or, hey, I was at dinner the other night and, you know, somebody said they sold one of your shirts. Was that your shirt in the video? I said, yeah. They were like, you know what? Um, maybe I can't do anything for you now, but let's talk in a month. All right. And I started to get traction in that sense. So now my 100 percent of time at Red Lobster went to 80 percent of time at Red Lobster and 20 percent on FUBU. Then it went to 40 percent, blah, blah, blah. Right. But I also didn't sleep. I also realized I didn't have I didn't have a life. I didn't I wasn't dating. I wasn't watching TV. I wasn't doing anything. I was full out on this because I knew that, you know, and I always say to young, young adults, I would say, and I, nothing against if you have children or married, you have your commitments long, you have great partners. But I always said to say, you, I even say to my girls, the first 20 years, you're going to be somebody's child. And that's who you are. You're my little girls. Right. And, you know, probably after 30, you're going to be somebody's husband, wife, uh, employee, employer, grandfather, grandmother for 10 years. Just do you from 20 to 30. Do you as much as you make those mistakes, get embarrassed, be vulnerable. And that's what I decided to do. So I didn't have anybody around me. All out, I was full out on uh, this little name called FUBU. That's awesome. I, I think that speaks to a lot of, of your of your motivation and, and how you, and how that was aligned with uh, your mission. I loved how you said you increased the volume of your activity when you when you found traction, it just speaks to um, how motivated you were, right? And I think I think everyone has that same motivation when they uh, when it's aligned with something they're passionate about. But what were some things that you did? Um, you know, the, the, the outreach is is a is a big part of it. It sounds like you were just getting in front of people as many as you can. But were there other things that you you also did to kind of get your name out there and build your personal brand? It was always making the customer or the person I felt uh, that I talked to always making them feel like a superstar. Mm. Yeah, that's it. Make you know, not telling anybody my problems, right? And when I was selling, you know, and being a little vulnerable, you know, you know, we see too many people today that are cool and they've made it, and you know, they don't need anybody and all that. They're full of shit. They're probably the most. They're probably the most insecure person you've ever met. But a true entrepreneurial thinking person walks into the room and says, I don't know much, but here's what I know. And these other stuff I really don't know. And I would love to find other people to work with who can advise me and or not work with. Just let me know. And you know what? The people that really have know this stuff and has a level of success because somebody probably have taught them, they're probably going to go, hey, you know what you should do? Here's how I can help you. But the fear of walking into a room and the 20 percent of people who are going to laugh at you because you are vulnerable, you don't want those people in your life anyway. They're toxic anyway. They're they're somehow feeling that blowing out your candle is going to make their shine brighter. And that's not the reality. 
So, you know, being vulnerable and that's what happens. That's how you get people to say, I want to help. You know, if you're driving down the highway and you see somebody sitting on top of the car with a gas can, well, I don't know, AAA is going to come pick them up. They call somebody, they're on their way. So you'd be like, ah, they're good. You drive down the highway, you see somebody out there pushing a car by themselves. What do you naturally do if you have a heart? You pull over. Yo, you need some help? You want me to help you push? Let me help you push. What's up? You know, I'll call somebody. I'll take you to the gas station. You know, like, and, and that's what happens. A lot of people, you know, I meet in life, they walk to me and say, Damon, John, mentor me, help me. I'd be like, why? You think I'm just going to, you think I got pixie dust? I could just help you? If I was that goddamn good, well, then FUBU would be called Nike. I need help. It's not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know everything in the world. And I'm not going to just come to your house and pick you up, pick you up off the couch. Oh my God, let me help you. Right. But when I see somebody who says, you know what, Damon, um, you know, I've been doing all this and that, and I failed it, but I studied some of your books or saw you on Shark Tank and I tried this and I failed. You know what? I know you love to help animals and I know you're, uh, you know, I know you're on the board of the Petco Foundation. I know I can't pay you but I'm going to donate one hour to ASPCA on your behalf every week. Can you get on the phone with me for a half an hour at the end of the month? The line of people saying that is probably 10 people. The line of, Hey, help me out. That is from here all the way to Brooklyn. Um, so it's always about your unique positioning on how you're going to uh, communicate with somebody, know what's in the best interest from that person, make the buy-in very, very simple and manage their expectations. I think that's really crucial that, yeah, great points as well. Um, shifting the conversation um, a little bit um, um, to kind of uh, you being able to sort of catch wind and, and, and move into uh, some of the success that you had. Are you okay sharing with us your sort of the lowest point uh, in, in your process of building out FUBU and where you were and then how you turn those, that, that around to, uh, you know, FUBU essentially hawking stick up to, to where it was at? Uh, there were so many low points in FUBU, but the, the, high, the high points really overshadow the low points. Um, uh, the low points in FUBU were, I got turned down my 27 banks when I went out to go and get, um, you know, funding. Well, I didn't have financial intelligence, so I didn't really know how and what I was saying to make the bank feel comfortable about loaning me the money. Um, uh, you know, when I did, uh, you know, uh, have my mother, um, you know, uh, take money out of our home, which was a hundred thousand dollars. Now I had, first of all, I have no idea how my mother got a hundred thousand dollars out of that house. The house was worth 75 till today. I haven't asked her what she did for the rest <laughs> of the money. Shout out, for, <laughs> shout out to moms. Now, um, but the story is that I uh, I got that. But the story really is that three months later, the hundred thousand dollars was five hundred dollars left because I turned the house into a factory. And I had uh, three months later, I had five hundred dollars left. I was three months later on the mortgage. They were about to take my mother's only asset. I was about to be homeless and I still didn't ship the three hundred thousand dollars in orders I had. So I was about to lose the business and I didn't have financial intelligence. So I wasn't buying lavish things, but. If you know, I know business now, I was paying for raw goods, took 90 days to get the goods in to make. So now I got to pay for them in advance. I got to buy these machinery, the machinery and pay for the utilities and pay for the mortgage and then pay for the staff that's sewing it. So now I got to push that money out. And Macy's and all these stores, they don't pay you until 30, 60, 90 days. So that was the lowest point of my life because I was like, I'm 10 years in on this thing called FUBU. I'm about to lose my mother's only asset and I'm about to lose this business. Um, so, you know, there's, there's so many different areas. And the way I got out of that is my mother said, I got this great idea. I need $2,000. So I go back to Red Lobster. I work for a month. I come up with $2,000. She takes the money and she says, I'm going to take an ad in the newspaper for you. I said, take an ad in the newspaper. That's got to be the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Give me back my money. I forbid you to do it. And like most women, when you tell them to, you forbid them to do something, she did it. And here's how the ad went. $1 million in orders need financing. 33 people call that ad. Right? So she took a shot. Now, don't get me wrong. 30 of those people were named Pookie, Laquita, Quack Quack for short, Sal the Sausage. 
<laughs> uh, 45% interest, living the adequate collateral, uh, pictures of long, loved ones in case I got lost. I think there was a, there was somebody on there who wanted a royalty off of every good sold, $2 in perpetuity. <laughs> name was O'Leary. I mean, some scumbag <laughs> named O'Leary, I think, called. That's but out of that, th- out of that, yeah, but not all joking aside, but out of the three were real, you know, and one was the privately held conglomerate that makes it of a $250 billion annually that makes everything from semiconductors to, they're probably listening to us right now, Samsung's textile division called. Um, Because the big boys and girls are watching every single one of us. That's incredible. Samsung reached out with that. That's amazing. And textiles, can you share with us what that is? Is that um, uh, sort of a fabric-based division or... Right. So I think that brings up a good point. You know, when I, when I was pitching and, and people here who are pitching people, you know, when I was pitching, I never pitched number one, two, five and six in the market. I didn't pitch to get back and or manufacture and distribute and distribution. I didn't pitch Tommy Hilfiger, Ralph Lauren, Nike. I mean, they're one, two, three, four, five, whatever cases. I pitched number 100 who wanted to be number one, two, three, four and five. Mm-hmm. You know, so that what you always find sooner or later, if you understand how to articulate the value that you're going to add to somebody, you just keep kissing enough rolls. You're going to get down the line to somebody who's going to go, yeah, I got these assets. You got these assets. How can we get together and make it better? Um, because you're always going to find. So if you have, obviously, you know. Uh, the easiest thing to sell is the truth. And if you have a great product, because product is king, you will find somebody who will find value in that asset. You just got to have a strong rejection muscle and keep kissing a lot of frogs and doing your homework. You know, when I walked in a room and I pitched somebody, it was easy for me to say, well, they didn't like me because I'm an African-American man or, or uh, you know, I, I didn't have any money or I got left back in school. I, it was easy for, for me to say that, right? But you know what I said to myself? Did I ask the right questions? Did I study the target well enough? Was I able to convey the message in a way that they saw value? I gotta, I gotta hack myself. And maybe, maybe, okay, maybe they didn't get it. Maybe it's not time. Maybe they had a fight with their significant other. So I kiss another frog. But before I kissed another frog, I asked myself the tough questions. I think that's very key. I also think it's interesting. One of my questions was going to be. How important is it um, for you to believe in what you're doing? But I think I should change that question to how important is it for you to have people that believe in what you're doing? Because what you experienced with your mother, she, you know, you know, her helping you out to uh, get things going and get orders going, you just needed uh, some more elbow grease from a financial standpoint to keep things going. How important would you say it is to have people in your corner uh, when when it's hard to see, you know, what the horizon is going to look like? It's very important, but it needs to be the right people mm-hmm. um, because you have to always really drill down on anything and everything in life. Like, who are you talking to? Why are they giving you this advice? And yeah, some sometimes you're going to get an F when you're a report card. Sometimes your idea is not that great. Um, but you have to execute. So it's the right people. Your family can tell you, don't do that. You're, the, the closest person in your family can say, don't do that. Um, it's never been done before. You're going to embarrass yourself or you're going to embarrass us. And that person may not be a hater. That person may have been somebody who grew up in a generation where you can get a corporate job and you know, one person, one one parent can stay home. The government is going to take care of you. Inflation was, it's a new time. They may not just have the vision, right? They may grow. They may have grown up knowing, saying, "Hey, doctors and lawyers, right?" Or I give you an example: the kids graduating today. Fifty percent of the kids graduating today will retire with a job title that doesn't even exist today. Mm-hmm. Think about twenty years ago. Somebody said, "You're going to be a drone operator. You're going to be a pay-per-click expert." You're going to be a social media conversion person. You'd be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, you know, a lot of people are going to give you advice because they don't necessarily have the vision because they love you. Now, other people are going to give you advice because a lot of times they're reflecting their weaknesses on you. 
I'm too lazy to do this. I hope this person doesn't do this shit or no way is that going to work. So I got a lot of advice from a lot of people. I got advice from great, a lot of great people in my community or, you know, next door to me who was like, yo, you can't do that because this, this and this and that. And I used to be like, didn't I see you smoking crack last week? <laughs> so it all depends on, you know, who's giving you the information and how you're getting it. Absolutely. I think that's key. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The right people aligned makes a huge, huge difference um, in, in success. So that's amazing. Um, you were you mentioned you just so we are are clear on on how how high that uh, curve was uh, when when you were um, needing help you had I think you I heard you say you had three hundred thousand dollars in orders how how much revenue did you gain after getting the success um, or help excuse me uh, from uh, from Samsung. Um. We would do an average of $400 million a year. Um, well, so my deal with Samsung was this. Very much an eat-what-you-kill situation. They're like, we'll manufacture and distribute your clothes, but you're going to have to sell $5 million worth of clothes in three years. Now, the real story is that I opened FUBU in 89. I closed it down three times from 89 to 92 because I ran out of money. I ran out of $500, $1,000. Uh, I started placing those videos 92 to 94. I started getting public recognition. I started just selling a little bit of clothes. And then I went to a trade show, the magic trade show. It's not pulling rabbits out of hats. It's men's apparel guild in California. It's held in Nevada. Don't ask me why. But I went there and I didn't have enough money to get into the trade show. I didn't have enough money to walk into the trade show. So my friends and I, we set up a small hotel room about five miles from the trade show, put all our clothes in the corner of the room, stuff in the beds and the carpet in the bathtub. And we didn't have money to walk in the trade show, so we would sneak into the trade show. At that time, there were no African-Americans in the trade show. So it's pretty easy for the security to spot the six guys running around with apples talking about, I got some I got some FUBU back in my hotel room, Ma. <laughs> hey, yo, baby girl, come to my hotel room for some FUBU. Um, but <laughs> I wrote $300,000 worth of orders out of that in that in that little small hotel wow. room because what i did was it was a vacuum i built people were seeing this stuff on tv for two three years the kids were coming to the store they remember the internet wasn't out they didn't know where to get it and the stores finally came in was like yo i don't i can't tell you how many kids have been asking for this and that's what happened that's how i got the three hundred thousand dollars worth of orders it wasn't an easy thing i mean it took me about seven years to get to that level to just get the orders but as somebody who didn't have a lot of access to information, I was like, all right, I got the orders. What do I do now? Yeah. Wow. Incredible. Right on. Well, looking back, you know, I mean, what a, what a uh, journey that was ups and downs, um, you know, incredible success. Would you change anything about the process that you had getting to where you are? You know, everything makes us who we are. But if I had to give you any kind of answer, the only thing I would change is I would really, really understand how money works. It is it's something your eyes gloss over. You don't want to talk about it. You know, it seems complicated. You think you need a lot of it. Or if you have a lot of it, you think that's helpful. And we are not taught about how money works in this country in school. And there is a reason why we're not taught it. You see, we, how I don't know, every one of us probably went to shop class or one of those things. Now, I don't know how many of you want to build a birdhouse. That's fine. But <laughs> none of us understood how money works. What is credit? Why is credit needed? What is a credit score? What are taxes? How do you do this? How do you save? The reason we're not taught that, and I think that we're going to start being taught that in school, is because at 16 years old, you can start applying for a half a million dollars worth of student debt that the banks will get paid off until you pay until you're 50. Okay, maybe they're re relieving some of that stuff now. And if you think about the stat I just told you, at 16, 17 years old in your life where you don't know what you want to do in life, you can acquire a half a million dollar worth of student debt for a career that you're not even sure is going to even exist when you retire. Mm -hmm. So understanding how finance works is the most critical thing. You know, like everybody's talking about Bitcoin and all that stuff right now and NFTs. That's nice. 
But if you just had common sense and realized that with gas going out of this world, out of the roof, and you can't even get a Tesla, the Teslas are on back order and they're electric and the Tesla stock is down 60%. Well, you can take you can take $1,000 and put it in the bank. At the end of the year, you're going to get uh, probably $1,040. If Tesla just goes back to where it's at today, you will make $2,000. I mean, if somebody told me that a brand new Mercedes is 50% off, well, shit, but give me two, right? But if you don't have financial intelligence, what are you going to do? You're not even going to take advantage of those things. And by the way, if you keep that same $1,000 in Tesla, it'll probably be worth $15,000. You know, I bought Shopify at $30. It went as high as $1,700 in four year, in five years. Mm-hmm. You know anything else that returns like that? So if you don't have financial intelligence, you won't understand these, these concepts. You don't, you don't need money to make money. You know, the stat is that 65% of athletes and lotto winners are bankrupt three years after leaving the league or winning the lotto because they don't have financial intelligence. And I only know that because I blew my first $20 million. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's great. Yeah. Great feedback there. Um, Really appreciate the time that you're spending with us today. Um, And, and thank you for uh, sharing that part. I'm sure everyone here is uh, um, also appreciative of your time and uh, what you're uh, able to, uh, share with your life story and uh, and and how it can uh, motivate us to also be successful. Um, Thank you. At this at this time, what I'd like to do is spend you know just a few minutes uh, with questions uh, that we'll try to moderate here uh, for anyone. If uh, Damon, if you still have a few more minutes left, uh, to uh, yeah, and, and listen, I, yeah, we. we... Yeah, sure, man. I got that. Actually, I got 20 minutes. I think for you guys 20 minutes. Oh, great. OK, excellent. All right, let me ask. Let me answer the first question without you even asking. Yes, Kevin O'Leary is an asshole. All right, let's move forward on any other <laughs> questions. Very good. Uh, there's a question here in the chat box. In fact, guys, why don't we just put our questions in the chat box um, if you have them? And then um, anyone in here, if you guys have questions, uh, please tell Allison uh, and then she'll share them with me. Um, I have a question here. Uh, from uh, Deborah, who says, "What is your what is your favorite quote?" Money is a great slave, but a horrible master. Oh, that's very good. Very good. What, why Thank is you. that your favorite quote? Just I'll follow up question. <laughs> good question. Um, everybody that I've seen do things only for the form of money, um, either spent it when they got it or ended up in the wrong place because of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I didn't learn to trust my gut till in my mid thirties. And a lot of times it was like, well, Damon looks good on paper. Oh, you're the man or well, you don't got to do a lot. And I'm like, Oh, you're going to make a lot of money. And out of 10 times that happened, probably eight times I regretted it. I didn't trust my gut. Only you can trust your gut. And the two times I did win, I was like, Thank God I got out of that. Right. Thank God it's over. Um, even when I, I joke about Kevin Leary, he's one of my, my closest friends, very, very kind man. Um, but even when you look at him doing things for money, it's not money. He's doing things because he likes finance. He likes the unfolding of it. So whether you like fashion or working out, he loves the movement and the way to structure deals. He doesn't do it pure. He calls himself a disciplined investor, but the money is the outcome of structuring complex things in ways that everybody's beneficial. Right. So it's usually uh, that's so that's that's the that's talking about the money. I mean, I didn't I didn't make any money. I didn't think FUBU was never done at that level ever prior from people of color. I never thought I would get there. I didn't see myself as a global brand. Now, honestly, my partners and I, we thought that maybe we would make it a way to have a boutique that all four of us can work at and feed our families. Absolutely. Wow. No, very good. Um, here's a question from Julia. What was one of your favorite deals you ever made on Shark Tank? Oh, that was so easy. 
<laughs> so it's called Bomba Socks. Oh, okay. Um, and the reason why is because there so so ring doorbell is the number one product to ever go on to Shark Tank. <laughs> um, but he did not get an investment. Kevin offered him a deal, and later on, Jamie oh, it sold it sold to um Amazon for $1.3 billion. Um, Jamie, the founder, said that he was asking too much when he went on to the show and that it was not a good offer he gave us. So he went back out to the market. He reduced the price a little bit. I think that um, he owes us 5% or tenderizing him so gently. But uh, the number one product in Shark Tank history that got an investment is my company. Bomba Socks wow. came on doing eight hundred thousand dollars. They're going to do five hundred million dollars this year. Wow. Um, but why is it? First of all, my favorite. First of all, it taught me. You know, my generation was. First of all, again, and I don't want to keep saying this. Then it wasn't out, but it wasn't out. And if I spent ten million dollars giving to those in need when Fubu was super hot, I. I would have to advertise to tell you why I was giving you somebody in need. And I just felt dirty advertising off the hardships of others. It just didn't make, you know, it's, the, it's those people on Instagram going, look, I'm giving a poor person a sandwich. And now that person <laughs> has to degrade themselves and take a sandwich and take a picture. Mm -hmm. Um so we had gotten a, a big backlash. Fubu doesn't believe in the community. And I felt dirty when I had to start saying, here's all the computers we put in schools. Here's all the basketball courts we refurbished. Here's all the, you know, battered women's shelters and all the stuff we've done. However, today's consumer, they want to know what you've done because they don't need it on the front page, but they're going to look through and see what is your mission? Who are you? I can buy socks from anybody. Why am I buying your socks? And you don't have to advertise it. User-generated content is people going, thank you for what you did. And they're putting themselves on camera. Thank you as the homeless shelter. Thank you for providing these stuff for us. And we appreciate you. And the consumer wants to know what the hell did you do for somebody else? So most of the people probably on here, that you're a lot in the younger generation, I can sit in, at, the end, at the table with my daughter and I can go, yeah, I gave her the office at the end of the year. She said, oh, really, daddy? Well, I gave 20 times this year. I said, honey, it's the middle of the year and you only work at the pizza parlor. How do you give 20 times this year? Because every time I bought this, I helped clean up the ocean. Every time I bought this, I, I stopped human trafficking. And every time I bought this, a person in need got another pair of socks. And that's why they're my favorite company, because they made me understand that. And you and don't lie about it. They made me understand if you're doing right, people want to know what the hell you've done for other people. Because right now, somebody in this room has bomb socks on and I wouldn't know. There's no logo. It's It's hidden by your feet. But people are talking about it at dinner tables, on Zoom, at the water cooler, on Monday morning about what they're doing. And that's why Bomba Socks is so popular because people want to be part of a mission, of a story. Absolutely. Very nice. Very nice. That's very good. A similar question. Uh, Wendy has a question. Of all the pitches you've heard, what makes the good ones stand out? And she says she's a big time fan. She quotes you often to her students. Uh, the the best pitches are um, an infomercial feeling pitch, right? An infomercial type pitch, mm -hmm. right? It tells you that a problem exists and you resonate with that problem because you personally had that problem in some way or another. Then it shows you that you've been frustrated with it. And then it shows you that why this person or this product can solve it. And it also says, well, I understand this is a new concept to you or a new product, whatever the case is, I'm going to make it easy for you to get in on it. I'll give you an example. We all see infomercials. Hey, has this ever happened to you? Right? They're <laughs> resonating with the issue. And then you said to yourself, there's gotta be a better way. <laughs> well, I'm Damon John, and I did this and this and this over my life, and now I came up with a better way. All right, so now you're like, okay, you got a better way. But you know what? I don't believe this person. And 
just like the cheesecakes I was talking about. If you call by tonight, midnight, I'm not going to give you one better way. I'm going to give you two better ways. <laughs> by the way, that 1-800 number, midnight, it doesn't just go away at midnight. It's there forever. But, and if you don't like those better ways, you can send them back. So what happens? You resonate with the problem. You're like, well, it doesn't cost more much to try it. And if I don't like it, I send it back. Nobody ever sends that stuff back. Everybody wants a six pack, but nobody sends those weights back. Now, that's just the reality. Of it. So that is the perfect pitch because, you know, we're, we're, pitch we're buying into the person. I don't need to make money. You know, I don't need to deal with you or anybody here to make money. You know, if I invest in you or employ you, I potentially have to sit next to you or across from you eight hours a day, five days a week for the next five years of my life. If I send my money over to the market, they don't wake up Steve Jobs from the dead and ask me how to fix computers. Elon Musk doesn't call me in between the time he's smoking a joint and ask me how to, you know, help, <laughs> you know, send somebody to the moon. I just either get my check or not. So the reality is we invest in people because when you tell me that story, I got to have trust in you to feel like you found a better way. Great answer. Yeah, very good. Um, who has been the biggest inspiration in your life and uh, how have they helped you achieve success? That is well, first, clearly my mother, um, you know, moms are the, our first angel investors, you know, end of the day. I mean, they they make a big investment in us. It's called life, you know. So, yes, but she's also taught me so much throughout life. Um, but I learn from anybody and everybody. I learn from any, I, I learn from my daughters, you know. Um, I, remember, uh, I remember a couple of years ago, I go to my daughter's room. You know, she got the computer. I'm watching TV downstairs. I'm not watching on the computer. She's watching on. She's on. She's on the computer. She's watching TV. She's talking to her boyfriend, doing homework, um, and shopping, and lying to me all at the same time. <laughs> and I'm like, "What the hell are you doing?" And then she showed me Snapchat and all these other things. So I got into you know, our parents. You know, I, you know, I, I hate when our parents used to say, or I, I don't do this. I don't go. What are you doing? I go. Uh, what are you doing? And I got into Snapchat and various things early because, this, you know, we're at a great time where there's a lot of symbiotic relationships. Mm -hmm. You have the generation we're talking to here right now. Um, and then you have the older generation. A lot of the older generation, they have financing, they have distribution, they have manufacturing, they have the fundamentals of business. But they don't know how to do what this generation knows how to do. This generation knows how to communicate around the world in a split second. Uh, you know, they say a lot of times this generation is uh, what you call spoiled or whatever the case is. This generation also overthrows governments without picking up a gun. They use Twitter. They ban millions of people together to fight against injustices. They know they got to clean up the planet that my generation destroyed. So th this generation, there's a really great opportune time right here when this generation, whenever I see the younger generation get with the older they create a lot of different synergies and a lot of a lot of money. Um, so this is an opportune time. And your question was who I learned from, but you got to learn from anybody and everybody. You got to have symbiotic relationships. Absolutely, I think that's a great great response there. It's all of those experiences end up being what things you learn from. Um, at what point in your life did you realize you reached your version of success? Um various different points because I'm a, I'm a big advocate of goal setting and uh, there were points where I felt like I've been successful but I know I knew there was always level for improvement there's always level for improvement so I may have been you know I may have been the fubu guy now I had money no so so now fubu's big right I got money below 20 million dollars wait a minute I can have a big company that I want but if I don't know how to use this money I'm done all right. Now, all of a sudden, food was doing well. 
but I know a hot fashion brand lasts five to seven years. We're not talking about the unicorns like Nike and Louis Vuitton. I start picking up other brands, Heatherette, Drunken Monkey, Kuji, uh, uh, Kappa, and all this other stuff. I'm failing at all these brands. So wait a minute, I'm not successful. I, I'm going to be looked at as a one-trick pony. Wait a minute, Damon John just stepped in shit one time. Wait a minute, what am I going to do? But all of a sudden, this starts taking off, right? I put on my first and my second book. They failed. Oh, shit. I'm not successful. Third book becomes a New York Times bestseller, right? Go on a show called Shark Tank. And, uh, you know, the first three th- three seasons were going to be canceled. Wait a minute. Now I start women- winning Emmys. Walk these three girls around town to all my friends and was like, listen, these girls are named the Kardashians. I co-manage these girls. They're going to be big. I think they're going to be big. $75,000 for you to put all your clothes on all the girls and everybody you want in the show per year. $75,000. Everybody laughs me out the room. So if you look at chart, uh, you look at Kardashians, the first three years, you know what they're wearing? They're wearing my brand, Kooji. Why? Because I said, Kim, you know, I'm, I don't want to let you down. I just don't know what they don't see in you guys. So I'm going to give you the $75,000. I got a call two years ago. Somebody said, hey, D, you remember those girls? Uh, I got $75,000 for them to wear my stuff. I was like, I can't even get them on the phone no more for $75,000, you idiot. Uh, you know, I did the same thing with a young man named Pitbull. You know, I, I got this guy. He's really amazing. Nobody wanted to work with him. So I, it's ups and downs and peaks and valleys and all business. You know, there's no just you have arrived. You'll never have a you have arrived moment. If anybody thinks that they're going to have you have arrived moment. It's not. It's going to be you've gotten to this point, And now how can you do better? Mm-hmm. You know, because I'll give you an example. You know, in the pandemic, I had this woman. She was stalking me. She stalked me. She got my phone number. She called my wife. She called my wife's parents. I don't even know how she got that number. My wife looks at me and goes, Damon, the hell is wrong with you? Now, first of all, there was one stalker that year. I, I like to keep my stalkers at around seven. Then I know I'm still popular. I only had one that year. So that was already a challenge. But... <laughs> She said, you better call your friends because you know what? You're a public person, AK, whatever, celebrity. There's got to be technology and various other things to block all our information. I said, all right, no problem. I don't want to name drop to just name drop. I'm going to tell you the people I called. I called Catherine Zeta-Jones. I called Mark Cuban and I called Pitbull. I called up Catherine. I said, Catherine, you got it? She said, yeah, me and Michael get calls all the time from people like, Damon, you can't stop. These are public records, you know, just whatever. So, okay. I called Mark Cuban. He said, D, trust me, that's nothing. And I called Pitbull and he was like, Papo, that girl on the other line right now. Right. <laughs> and so I had to tell my wife, babe, there's no, now that you've become a celebrity, here's what you get. Bodyguards, you stay skinny the rest of your life. Nobody's going to hate you. There's nothing like you've arrived. There's no, if you're an athlete or you're really skinny or you're worked out at 20, that you can eat the shit you want and not and your body will stay the same forever. There's no, you graduated Harvard and that guarantees you a job. You know how many people graduated Harvard that are scooping ice cream right now? By the way, I hate to break it to you. When you get married, you know that whole happily ever after. There's no guarantee in that one. Trust me on this. You got to work at that shit. And no matter what your career is, no matter what happened, Damon John from FUBU is doing great, but nobody gives a shit about Damon John from FUBU uh, about the about when I come to clothing. I'm not doing clothing the way I used to do it. It's about what did I do today with what have I learned yesterday? And I'm applying to be more successful tomorrow. So the job never stops. As long as you know that, you're going to have fun doing it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's key. It's just, it's a continuous process that, uh, you know, evolves, changes over time. Yeah. Do you know any music artist that has hits their entire life? When Michael yeah. Jackson and Prince died, they didn't have any hits at the time. Mm-hmm. Very true. Yes. Well, good. Well, we're just hitting the, uh, the hour mark. Um, really appreciate your time again, Damon. Um, and um, uh, it was uh, incredible to meet you uh, and be a part of this hour uh, with, with, uh, uh, with you and we appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for being in attendance. I, I would shout you all out. I see a whole bunch of people in that conference room, the white table. I see <laughs> Emily's on her phone and 
I'm again, Gail, and every, I just see a bunch of people. Thank you for everybody for, for being here. Um, and uh, listen, I wish you all the best. Keep investing in yourselves. More importantly, make sure your health, you're okay. Um, and the only thing I can say in closing is, you know, um, I found out about six years, about four years ago that I had a cancer that was in my body because uh, I wasn't getting in many executive physicals and I got it done. I'm cancer free. But I got to tell you something. It was my wife that convinced me to go get that colonoscopy. And I got to tell you, you know, if you got a hard headed person in your family, we can talk about all this business shit all day but they don't have their health. So make sure all of you get that hard headed sister, father, brother, mother, grandfather, yourselves to go get those colonoscopy, endoscopy, pap smears, mammograms. Cause you know, there's an old saying, somebody with their health has a thousand dreams. Somebody without only has one. So all this shit we're talking about is good until you are faced with something that's devastating and you can prevent it. Cause there's 65% chance. If you catch something on time, you can beat it. So God bless you all. And I do appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Oh.